black 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 What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fury, and this is Blackball. In Canada, we found out during the pandemic that several companies that were owned by the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, aka the Plymouth Brethren Crazy Cult, were given sole source contracts to bring in PPE um, for the pandemic. Now, these companies uh, were not companies that specialized in any of these types of products before. In fact, one of them called Klondike Lubricants, which is the company that was that the Klondike papers were named after, imported and sold oil, like industrial oil, harsh weather oil, and things like that. So it was bizarre to a lot of people to see companies like that being awarded contracts worth sometimes tens or hundreds of millions of dollars when they didn't even specialize in the equipment that they were responsible for bringing in. There's also been, in a couple of countries, including Canada, complaints about the quality of the PPE that came in. But what I wanted to do over the last month is try to figure out a way to expose the businesses that are owned by the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church and also uh, the, the, the network in the UBT companies that are all owned by the Plymouth Brethren. The obscene amounts of money that they make and I wanted to find experts who could help us sort of unpack how the political connections work, how the business connections work, and how much they profit from their political connections. And I was pointed out to this guy maybe, I don't know, six months ago, I think. And uh, we've been trying to work out a way for him to come on the show, and we found a way. And so I'd like to welcome my guest today. His name is Damien Hasty. Damien, how are you, buddy? I'm good. Uh, thanks for the invite. It's great to be on, James. Hope you're well. Thank you. I hope you're well as well. So before we get into sort of the, the nitty gritty here, um, you're not an ex-Brethren member. No, not at all. And probably similar to you, May, up to May 2020, I never heard of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. Yeah, that, that's me as well. Um, so what made you decide to sort of embark on this? You have a website called openandcandid.com where you have a treasure trove of documents and research and information about the businesses owned by the PBCC. What was the motivation to get you started? I think it, it all started was during the, the end of COVID lockdown, obviously over in the UK, we spent billions on PPE um, and in the UK there is some transparency around where them contracts have gone to similar to Canada in, in that aspect um, and what what actually happened was more out of in, in sort of curiosity and intrigue was I looked at where these contracts were going as they were being published in the UK uh, and I still remember the first one I found for for the the cult, um, the commercial Plymouth Brethren commercial cult, as I look at, at it, rather than the crazy cult. Um, and the first one I found was a company called Medco Solutions that had won a PPE contract 
for circa 80 million. Um, and just following the directors, uh, which you can do in the UK's company's house to see what, what other connections, what other companies are involved in, uh, I, I came across the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. And at that time, didn't really think too much about it. Just thought, well, that's odd. Um, however, two days later, I was looking at another company, uh, Top Elm Limited, and again, a link to this Reverend Christian Church. Uh, so then I started looking at each contract to see if I could find further links to the Plymouth Reverend Christian Church. Um, literally within 24 hours, I'd found 13 of the contracts linked straight back to the church. Wow. And that's yeah. where it all started. Okay. They have a long history in, in the UK. That's actually where they originated from. Uh, in Plymouth, England. And they've also had their tax-exempt status removed, is it once or twice in the last, like, 30 years? Uh, I, I'm only aware, really, back in 2013, what actually happened was one of the gospel halls, one of the meeting rooms, um, had their tax, um, their charitable status um, removed by the charity commission over here in the UK um, and they appealed it because obviously that was going to impact on all the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church Gospels Hall, Gospel Halls. I believe there's 100, 130 of these Gospel Halls meeting rooms across the UK um, and they fought tooth and nail to keep their charity status. Uh, it was a big piece 2012 through to 2016 when it was fully overturned and they kept their charitable status at that time my research into that is it's very difficult to pin down how much it is actually worth i i believe it's 30 million uk uh, pounds um a year just in the uk uh, of which of that 30 million they spend about a million pounds towards the rapid relief team uh, and other charities uh, to show what good they do. Um, I'm yeah. pretty sure everybody would. If, if you were offered 30 million, James, but you had to spend a million to uh, to show what, how good you were, I'm pretty sure you'd do it. I think that Richard Pryor starred in a movie once called Brewster's Millions. That was literally about that. Um, <laughs> see if he could spend $30 million in 30 days, I think. So, okay. I often wonder if... I often actually say out loud in this podcast that it feels like Western democracies uh, um, have a fatal flaw within their uh, respective constitutions or charter of rights or just the way that their legislation works when it comes to freedom of religion. And I still think that, but I'm also thinking now on the, I, I mean, it seems obvious when I say it, but the Plymouth Brethren are probably exploiting the, the freedom of religion and then finding a way to monetize that exploitation. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, yeah, I, I think it is. I, my, my personal view is that the, the church obviously was a church to start off with, but under the current leader, Bruce Hales, it, it has become a, a commercial enterprise which hides behind the church. Uh, and in reality, I, I, 
for me, you look at, as you say, the Western democracies and the governments, and there is this, well, people are free to, to follow their religious beliefs, but at the same time, I have no problem with them following their religious beliefs, uh, other than some of the well-documented uh, issues regarding separation, child abuse, and things like that. However, I look, at, yeah. I look at that, I look at the church and think, why have they got charitable status? That yeah. they've only got charitable status so they can spend money. Um, that it's a tax, it's 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 a tax. They're using tax loopholes to make money. And their workforce is largely fueled by true believers. Yes. Yeah. In reality, if you look at all their companies, and, and I suppose when I go back, and this is probably the nerdy side, the geeky side of myself, once I'd started finding these contracts, what I very quickly realized on Companies House, that if you started, and I actually started with a company in Northern Ireland, and from there i just followed the companies that them directors were uh, related to and then that just opened up the whole chain it was like dominoes falling and i found circa 1500 companies in the uk that were plymouth forever owned wow um the the complaint that uh, a lot of people in canada have uh, that i mentioned in the intro was the um the the government offering and awarding government contracts for PPE to companies that didn't deal with PPE, brethren-owned companies that dealt with completely different types mm -hmm. of industries, front companies, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. Was that something that was happening in the UK as well with the contracts that were being given to them? And what kind of companies were they really and, and, and while receiving PPE contracts? And I think one of the things that probably is been, probably the hardest thing to explain to people is that in the UK, if I look not just at PPE, but look at the rapid antigen tests, lateral flow tests, whatever you, you want to call them, they they won on them as well. They won circa 2.2 2 to 2.5 billion pounds worth of contracts in the UK. If you look at that, the major two companies that won them contracts were um, Unispace, who later became Santi Global, which was owned by both Unispace and Santi Global, are uh, owned by Charles and Gareth Hales, who are two of the sons of Bruce Hales. And the other big winner is a company called Medco Solutions. Medco Solutions didn't exist until the end of March 2020. It was a newly incorporated business with two directors, brothers Ross and Luke Robertson. Ross Robertson worked for Unispace up until that point. So, and the Medco Solutions in Australia and in the US is owned by Dean Hales, brother of Gareth and Charles, and son of Bruce. So, the two biggest winners, and they equate to about 1.9 billion UK pounds of the 2.2, are directly sons of Bruce Hales and within that Unispace were an office design firm so if you were a company looking to redesign your facilities in your offices Unispace were one of the companies that worked in that market 
Medcore Solutions, as I said, didn't exist. Huh. Okay. Um, you sent me a bunch of images, and I'm going to post them one by one and then ask you to sort of unpack it for us. Okay. Because um, I noticed that there's certain terminologies that the UK uses, like over here, turnover means, um, you know, uh, the rate in which employees come and go inside a company. But there, <laughs> it seems to have a financial definition. Yeah. Yeah. The turnover in the UK is, is basically the gross sales. So how many okay. sales they made in total. Okay, that's good to know. Okay, so let's go. Let's start with this one. What are we looking at and why is it significant? So this is a tweet from 2014. Um, Grant Shapps has been is a Conservative MP. He's been uh, Transport Secretary. He's currently the Business Secretary. Um quite a controversial guy but moving aside from his background this this picture is taken with, alongside another mp uh, at a company called havwoods havwoods are based in the north of england but they're also based in australia they're a, a flooring company doing laminate wooden floors um in the picture also i think it's either simon or oliver wiley um and the wiley family are brethren members quite high-ranking brethren members and the Havwoods business in australia and part of it in the uk is owned by dean hales hmm. now one of the things that i've looked at is whether brethren are really really strong from a commercial perspective is that they work they lobby their conservative mps all the time um and it isn't for the for the size of the church and for the, the amount of businesses they've got you can find so many pictures of mps at them businesses and that is they're actively lobbying but what is interesting is how high up it goes so you've got grant chaps is in the uk uh cabinet so he's a cabinet minister so he'd be one of the top 2030 ranking MPs in the UK, government wow. MPs. So I've got pictures of him, Richie Sunak, the P PM, um, Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, um, Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, all visiting. So on this picture, if you look at that, that was taken from April last year. That's Richie Sunak, and he's meeting the uh, a business in Stokesley in Northern England, and that is the James family in the background, uh, predominant brethren uh, people who are do have connections actually to the Wileys as well um, at, at Havwoods. All these businesses interlink, so that the way they operate. Sorry, just what, just just so the Canadian audience understands, that is currently the the man in the front is your current prime minister. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there no appetite in the British press to ask cabinet ministers in a scrum or whatever? Are you comfortable doing business with people who oppress women, who oppress gay people, who cover up child abuse? I I don't believe that. I, we get some i've had some some coverage we've had the sunday times cover it which is a leading sunday newspaper the times um covered it earlier this year but always from a sort of uh, a voyeuristic look 
of oh look this church is connected nobody really goes in to question uh, and I speak to a lot of journalists, a lot of journalists from people like the BBC, uh, all the major newspapers in the in the UK, and every time it is, can you show us almost damning evidence that that is linked to a MP? And I kind of look at it and think, well, I can do the research, but it needs somebody else to do that bit. You're the people that can take that to the MPs. I think we we did have a little bit of joy uh, the end of last year. There is a thing in the UK called the Good Law Project. And the Good Law Project, basically what they do is they fight the cases where they believe the government aren't following processes or that they, there is a story there. Uh, and they highlighted um, our current culture secretary, Michelle Donnellan, um, and her connection so she's married to an ex somebody who has left the brethren and um, i i know without doubt I can exactly prove there. The evidence. There, there we have that michelle donnellan in the middle um they're based down in uh in chippenham um which is home to a, a quite a decent sized brethren community next to her is uh tom turner so Tom was is from the Turner family, was um, working for Brethren companies, obviously a member of the Brethren, uh, and he's now, they are now husband and wife. Uh, as part of that, Tom has left the Brethren, um, but still works with a, a there's still family ties. Uh, a number of the Turners work for a company called Stronghold Global, who have also supplied PPE according to their website um and uh, so, if you look at that that story alone to me is one that uh, we still haven't dug into it enough because if, if i look at that the contract so tom turner there his um father ben turner won one of the very first ppe contracts they they run or his father runs a company that supplies shoes and um, so safety shoes for um hospitals for nurses doctors etc a company called top elm and when you look at that they were one of the very first in the first three contracts awarded without competition uh, in the UK when the pandemic started. I think they were number three, the first British company. And at the time, I, I, I still think, how did that happen? How, how did they become one of the very first companies to win a PPE contract when they weren't a PPE company? And the son, who was still a director of the business um, up until just prior to that, uh, ends up being married to a current MP and cabinet minister. That kind of it spotlights the hypocrisy as well. I mean, if you're if you're abused by an elder, um, the and 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 they excommunicate you, you're done for life. They ghost you. But <laughs> if you marry a powerful politician, they're just like, okay, well, technically you're not part of the brethren anymore, but we still love you, and please keep on running this awesome company and keep making us money, right? I, so I, I ended up with a contact um, within 
a company within the company that Tom Turner worked at. So a brethren man company. And basically him and his two co cousins had, had left the brethren. Yet the brethren still deal with them. Their family still go into that premises of that company, uh, offering support and working with them. Uh, and where else in the brethren would that happen? Yeah. Where, where there is power, uh, it is, it's total hypocrisy. It must have been awful when they first got together because they couldn't even eat together. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take you out for dinner. It's table for one. I'll take care of the check before you get there. Right? <laughs> okay. Um, let's take a look at this. What are we looking at here? So th this one's always interested me again because no journalist seems to have really picked up on this. All, within the UK, all uh, government contracts, similar to Canada, are published. Uh, if you are to go in and look at this um, and search for Santi Global, which is the Hales, Charles and Gareth uh, Hales, Sons of Bruce, they they own Santi Global. Um, if you went in to search for a contract for Santi Global, you would not find this contract. However, if you search for Sterilab or Mornington, you would find it. It's only when you open the contract that you find out that Santi are actually behind the contract. Uh, and Sterilab is another Reverend Ram business, which is uh, why it was picked up. But well, to me, that says that's a joint contract. So why isn't Santi Global's name even on the uh, on the front page? Did Santi's uh, this is own that company? So Sterilab own it. Um, they were part of the South African brethren that came over. Well, South Africa when they left South Africa in '99, they moved to various parts, Canada. Wait, hold on a Australia, second. They, they they left South Africa because I guess apartheid was over and they didn't feel welcome anymore. Is that the idea? Uh, well, I, I'm not sure of the full story. Uh, I've heard a couple. Let's just of go with that, stories. Damien. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, this is a 273 million pound. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure what the current exchange rate is with Canada, but I'd imagine that's, that's at least probably... 300 million dollars. Oh, more than that. It's probably closer to 400 million. I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, lacks okay. transparency. No, it's, and, and and so why would they? Okay, what would be the motive to hide the other company's name? Like, if they're both owned by brethren, why is it important that one company is is shielded? Is it because that that company had nothing to do with the type of contract they were receiving? I, I think part of it is obviously Santi Global is linked to the originally the Hales owned Unispace, the office design um, business. Mm. Uh, and they sold Unispace um, towards the end of 2020 um, and then formed Santi Global. Unispace has been in the news in the UK quite a lot around the contracts for their PPE. I, I genuinely, it could just be a clerical error, but I, I, yeah. <laughs> it, it seems odd that the company that one of the biggest PPE winners are almost hidden away on the on the the testing side of things. Mm -hmm. This this isn't PPE. This was for the rapid antigen testing. Okay. Okay.
Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. What are we looking at? So this one says second yeah, call so, of... So that's, yeah. that's how you would find it. It just says awarded supplier Sterilab services. Oh, no right. Okay. So that is connected to that previous oh. document. Um, where are we? There's a couple more. This one. So this is the... This was going back to where the, the lobbying and the fact that they can get to the highest people in government. This is uh, Armagard down in uh, Fareham on the south coast of England um and that would be i'm trying to remember the name of the the family oh my god i can't remember the name of the family but obviously that's them uh with our current home secretary uh suella braverman yeah i, I mean it, it goes on and on i mean and we have and do you have a guy like this in your country this is gerald shapur he is uh, uh, he used to be the lawyer for our former prime minister, Stephen Harper. He used to be the general counsel for prime minister Harper's party, the conservative party of Canada. He was also the general counsel for the two previous conservative parties that came before the conservative party of Canada existed. Our conservative party has gone through three different um, metamorphoses because um, they were the progressive conservative party of Canada and they didn't want to be progressive anymore. So they went to the Reform Party and then the Canadian Alliance Party until they settled on the Conservative Party of Canada. But this guy was the lawyer for mm -hmm. the prime ministers and that party through all its incarnations. And also the lawyer who represents the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. So the same lawyer that represents the most powerful politicians in our country also represents the shadiest cult in our country. And I was wondering if there was a figure that sort of was the connecting tissue between those two worlds like that in the UK. Not that I'm aware of. There is a company, uh, a law company in London, that de definitely represents the Brethren on a number of occasions and has a lot of high-profile clients. Um, but no, no individual, I would say, from a, a legal perspective. It is slightly different from a business, um, sort of whether that be the accountancy services or the business creation. There is a couple of names that crop up again and again and again, but with no links to that I can find to government. But our non-brethren and definitely work a lot with setting up brethren companies. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the way that the mafia um, uses um, non-mafia members to do things like run numbers. 
Um, so in a gambling operation, uh, you know, a mafia captain will will give a sheet of paper to like a kid or some 20 something young guy who's not connected to the mafia. And he'll go uptown and he'll drop off the numbers to the bookie that also works for the mafia. But if he gets caught, um, you know, he'll he'll take the fall. But he's also the way that the bookies and the mafia can communicate with each other without actually having to communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that. It also feels, of course, like the mafia, the way that Bruce Hales gets paid and stuffed envelopes of cash all the time, which, again, is just the most Sopranos thing I've ever heard. Um, culturally, in the UK, is I, there's no appetite from the media side, it seems like, and, and like we've just discussed, uh, to ask the right questions. How much of is, – is there a public interest um, – is the public interested in, in this kind of stuff? And how much of a household name is the Brethren in the UK? Um, public answering in reverse. I, I still think it's not a household name. Uh, I think they go under the radar. Um, I think partly because of the way they're spread out across the UK. So I, I reckon they're probably in anywhere between 90 and 110 different locations. Uh, across the UK um, they weave a web um, so actually what might be interesting when you pick up for example a Brethren company in London or a Brethren company in Scotland it, the, their whole setup makes it harder to uncover any anything that, that, that might be wrong um, and then I think from a, when you talked about the press angle before, I think the other thing is that the Brethren do seem to have, a, from what I've read uh, and seen and witnessed, is um, they do they have the money to take people to court. Hmm. So for I'm sure it's no different in Canada, but in the UK, the newspapers aren't making the money that they made before online news has taken over stories are quick and simple if if there's any risk at all that they could end up in a legal argument with a company the stories aren't run and i think i think there is the interest simply because we've had 12 years of a conservative government that and particularly over the last three or four years is constantly linked to dubious suspicious if not corrupt practices so there is an interest from that perspective from a business perspective i I also think there is from the general abuse the shutting up the excommunicating i I think there is a, a, a public interest story there i just feel that there is almost a fear of the litigiousness yeah they're 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 very litigious i'm actually surprised that i haven't been served with papers yet to be honest with you because i've done i don't even know how many podcasts now on this group maybe 35 something like that or 40 um at least 50 hours of of material um and you know they haven't bothered to to knock on my door um maybe they don't think i'm important enough or big enough for them that's fine like you know I'm not really afraid of them. I, we, I, I had uh, cars parked outside where I was staying in the summer for a couple nights. That was interesting. But, uh-huh. you know, th- there is a, 
there's a part of me that's so cynical about this whole story because um, w- when you talk about the government contracts that they get here, they uh, we haven't had a conservative government since 2015. And so for mm-hmm. the last seven years, we've had a liberal government. As far as I know, and, and if someone, if R- Richard Marsh, if you're watching and you want to correct me on this, if you happen to know, please do so. But as far as I know, no um, Plymouth-owned c- company has received... Um, some sort of hefty contract from the federal government, but provincially all of the provinces that were led by conservative governments during the pandemic, all of those provinces gave sole source contracts to the Plymouth brethren. Mm -hmm. Is it like that in the UK as well? Like how does the difference uh, different, how do you differentiate federal from, is it from provincial in the UK? Uh, So uh, there's local, there's probably three ways of getting a, a government contract in the, in the UK, one is from a, a, a main government department, so a national government contract that will be like in the pandemic, they were from the Department of Health and Social Care. So that would be one. The second one would be some kind of local councils, so local uh, regional um, uh, sort of government. Uh, pretty much what you were saying there that's similar to Canada but there's also a third way in the UK and that is sort of a buying consortium groups so for example um, it might be there is one that covers um, particularly uh, fire service police and they'll buy for lots of different um they'll do a a tender process where lots of different fire services can then use use the companies that have been awarded that tender so it there's probably three ways of doing it what i would say is that in the uk the brethren have been successful on all three i would say particularly on the last one uh and i think that links a lot links into the rapid relief team as well um uh, it isn't unusual to see that shot of the rapid relief team handing out burgers and sausages uh at the local fire service open day if you dig a little bit deeper you'll find that that fire service also happens to buy their um safety equipment their uniforms from a brethren owned business have you been threatened with any legal action since you started down this? Uh, this I, road? I had just one sort of, I tweeted once quite early actually, uh, and just a, a kind of, was I aiming, would, would I highlight um, if these were all Jewish companies? Um, uh, and What a stupid question. And that came from somebody, I, 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 high up lawyer barrister within a company that um, has worked with the brethren before. But apart from that, no, nothing. What was your answer to that unbelievably ignorant question? I just ignored it. Oh, good, good. Um, It's not worth answering. The the whole reason that, you know, that this bothers people like you and I and, and countless others so much is because of how they treat the people that are in their localities and especially how they treat the people that are banished from those localities. Yeah. I, I, you know? I, for, for me, there's, there's two things that drive me on. One is 
I don't believe they need the charitable status. I, I, I don't, and actually that is a waste of taxpayers' money that could go somewhere else. That could be, I say it's, if I hazard a guess, it's 30 million UK a year, so what call that 50 million Canadian dollars a year. I don't believe the Brevin need that money. Uh, no. And actually, when you do that over nine, ten years, that you're starting getting into to big numbers. Um, so that drives me. And the second bit is the, the total hypocrisy of how they deal. And one of the things that drives me crazy is the amount of times that you will go on. If you go and look at Tucson Limited, so Tucson was set up um, by the Wiley family of Havwoods that we, we had a picture up before of. What a uh, name. What a name for that family. Because yeah. they are pretty the wild, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So that, that, it, that business, Tucson, is actually owned by Dean Hales and the Wileys. Uh, and Tucson was set up um, by the Brethren. If you go and look at Tucson's website, there is, and look at their people on there, there is only one of them that is Brethren. So actually everybody else has came from UK government department during the pandemic and the test and trace department. And you look at that, all them people on that are non-brethren. So they're using people that aren't brethren to make their money now. And I think this will be more and more to the fore that where a company is successful or they see an opportunity that they'll use non-brethren people to make their money if they've got the connections and the background to, to drive that business forward. Uh, they talk all the time around, uh, they, they big up their diversity within these companies, their fact that they're anti-slavery. And you go and look at the day-to-day -day of a brethren family or people that have been excommunicated or left the brethren, it is totally at, at odds with what they are doing and the way they preach that you'll see rapid relief teams at uh, events that are totally against what their church is really like so yeah. it's all a mask it's all pr i wonder if there's a way to get the media i mean i've been thinking about this for so long and i and i feel like i'm um you know treading water i guess but I mean, the media right now really loves social justice stories, um, for better or worse. But I mean, it'd be nice to feed the British media uh, stories about the the two or three cases that I can think of off the top of my head where um, a member of the Plymouth Brethren, um, uh, you know, came out as gay or was caught masturbating, and they got a Plymouth doctor to give that person pills that would chemically castrate them. You know. Or, or the oppression of women, the systematic oppression of women. We had Laura Payne on. Mm -hmm. She's from San Antonio. She's an ex-member. And she described being a woman inside the Brethren as basically like being a slave, you know, um, indentured servitude, uh, you know, the way that they're not allowed to speak unless they have permission. Jesus Christ, there's no Italians in the Brethren then. It's impossible. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. There's not a, one Italian woman or Dominican uh, that I've ever met that, that, you know, would need permission to speak. But these are the kinds of things like when I see pictures um, like uh, da, 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 like this one, and when I see pictures, and this is uh, this is Michelle Donlin. She is the is she the MP for Chippenham? Is that yeah yeah? Uh, and she's also the cultural minister. Is that right? Yes. 
Yeah, right. she, I, I, she was a cultural minister and before that she was the education minister for a day uh, yeah. and prior to that she was the university's minister so it, it's almost as if she follows roles that our brethren member can't go to university so okay. Donovan was the university minister and then to become culture minister it, it's almost it's laughable so if there is a um a member of the UK press that is listening or will eventually listen to this, ask Michelle Donlan, do you feel comfortable awarding contracts to companies owned by a cult who oppresses women systematically? And see what she said. Like how, I mean, I, I'm sure she'll pivot out of it. She'll be like, well, I'm not sure, uh, you know, if, if I understand what the question is. Like she'll, she'll find a way to pivot out. But the question needs to be in the ether. It is shocking to me. In, in And it's not just the UK, it's Canada too. Um, I think Australia probably has a better track record than both of our countries when it comes yeah. to sort of calling truth to power in this thing. But, you know, these are the kinds of questions that are going to chip away at this group. And they're not just they're just not being asked. Um, I, I noticed in your Twitter bio that um, the Times have dubbed you. Um, oh, what did they say? Um, that you were uh, a professional researcher. What did they say? again? Yeah, re research. In, I can't remember the exact words that they used. Um, they oh, that that your site, Open and Candid, is an investigative platform. Yeah. Do you have relationships with members of the press at all? And and, yeah, and so basically through through my research um, and what I tweeted, yes, I have built up a network. I do have connections, uh, uh, both TV and, and mainstream national newspapers. Um, the appetite, unless you've basically done the work, isn't there? You know, it's. I mean, you guys are the tabloid capital of the world, mm -hmm. <laughs> but all your tabloid papers are conservative, aren't they? Yes. Well, apart from the mirror, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough one. Like, it's, it's, I, I can understand why people get really frustrated going down this rabbit hole because it just the rabbit hole goes forever, and it the does. light at the end of the tunnel is when you give up and climb back up, mm -hmm. right? I, but I, I still believe that, I think one of the problems that the brethren have got is there's too much money now. I, I, one of the, I put an article up on only yesterday regarding where some of the money goes via the universal business team that they've restructured in the UK who owns the universal business team, so UBT. They've moved it across to, I think, away from a charity. Uh, and I think the reason they've done that, without knowing that I can only hazard a guess, is that that's transparency. The other bit is that the charity, the Grace Trust, which owns UP, UBT in the UK, actually has too much money. They are sat on, at the end of last year, 52 million in the bank as a charity that's after giving 30 odd million away so that, that they're struggling to give that money away i also think the money will corrupt in the end uh you one of the big pieces i'm doing at the moment looks at how much if you look at a typical brethren community uh and i'll use a couple in scotland that i've looked at what it seems to me is they run probably between 90 and 150 people in each community. That might be 30, 40 households. 
but within that that's literally only usually seven or eight families with yeah. the odd person that's married in within them seven or eight families you will find that there is usually three or four businesses worth four million Canadian or two and a half million UK so yeah. and, and that's in assets so actually if they sold them businesses they're probably worth a lot more so that the money's there there's so much money where does it stop and I, I think money will be the thing that brings them down I, I, I'm sorry I'm asking you a question that I don't know the answer to and I don't know if you do either but I'm, just when you're talking there I thought of uh, I thought of it when it comes to taxes I'm wondering why um, Bruce Hales hasn't been audited when there is clear evidence that he receives cash from all around the world all the time uh, do you know of anything of, of, of any time, time I, I, he's been audited in the past I, I don't I, I what I will say is the links between Australia and the UK are significant in both government terms so I think without any proof but it's something that I have wondered and if there is any possibility of it i'm not saying there is or there isn't but some of the names involved in australia uh, and the uk government have links to the brevum in both countries uh, and i'm amazed that hales hasn't been looked at further and in the uk I, I just one of the things i regularly come across probably since starting this is the surprise really that if you want to commit a fraud go big make sure it's complex in size because in the uk only one person's been done for insider trading in the last eight years so our, our actual policing and auditing of anything financial is really poor uh, and i'm not convinced australia is any better yeah, the Americans are like that too. Um, after the financial crisis, the only guy to go to jail was this low-level brown person. <laughs> you know, it's like, the, it's like the big show. I always remember in the big show at the end of that film, them saying all these people went, all these bankers were sent to prison, and they said not right. really. Uh, yeah. We'll be in the same position in ten years' time, blaming it on the immigrants and the poor people, and that's all that ever happens. It's it's funny that you bring that up because um, I, I just used the analogy of. Um, Christian Bale's uh, role in that movie as the guy who looked under the hood in the subprime mortgage scandal and mm -hmm. saw what all of these uh, mortgages uh, embedded inside the trunches that were given AAA ratings. He actually looked at thousands of them and realized that these trunches were being propped up by ratings that should have been C instead of AAA. Mm -hmm. And that's why yeah. he shorted the housing market. And I always thought that it would be a good idea for a government official or uh, an auditor to do the same thing, um, to look at all of the different uh, chapters or localities and look at um, whether and, and audit them and look at whether or not they deserve their charitable status. Because we have the same rapid relief team here and, you know, they 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 show up at firemen's uh, fundraiser or whatever. Um, you know, they get, I don't know how much they get, they, they, they receive as far as a grant for doing it or whatever, but you know, they go and they, they spend, um, money uh, as cheaply as possible on like Costco meats instead of buying something nice. And then they, then they leave and then you find out that they were like funded to the tune of like $2 million the year before. And they, they went to like five barbecues, you mm -hmm. know, like I, I, the interesting one on the rapid relief team is if you look at their global report last year, 
there's some real anomalies in there. It, 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 for example, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like in New Zealand, they served 40,000 meals and they spent 300,000 New Zealand dollars. And in the UK, they did less meals, but spent three times as much. It, it, there's, there's no pattern to it. It almost feels at times that someone's just booking numbers. You, also, a seven dollar meal is like you know, yeah. wedding at the Legion. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not something I would uh, I would hang my hat on. Um, okay, so you are working on uh, you're always working on stuff. I, let me ask you about your your mental health because I, I, this could take a toll on, on most people. Um, how are you doing? Uh, you know, is it something that you need to take a break of uh, take a break from once in a while, or or are you just like getting on with it? I, I think sometimes I take a break. Um, definitely towards the end, I think it was last year, probably had a couple of months, probably September, October, I didn't do an awful lot. Um, it is hard to keep uncovering stuff or researching. And I, I think one of the hardest things is actually the way the information is presented, it, it's so complex. Uh, there's a lot of numbers in there. Uh, and I, I still believe probably like you is that actually it's the social stories that will make the difference not not the business stories but the business stories are often a way in to to try and open the door to social stories um for me mentally i just keep plodding along um i I, some days i'll look at a lot other days i won't look at much um if something tweet i follow certain things so i'll get linkedin notices or i'll get uk company house notices so that might then make me want to look at something else uh and sometimes the pressure's time you, you just don't have the time to to actually give it what it needs uh i think in the uk the ex-brethren community maybe slightly different from canada i i think generally the ex-brethren community tend to have left the brethren 10 15 years plus uh, i think one of the things that the uk lacks is the people that are leaving the brethren currently don't seem to be communicating outside the brethren as much i could be wrong on that oh that's just the british thing Mm -hmm. well i did there's uh, there's one at the moment i'd love to speak to him left of the brethren um in the last two years and was at a company that won a ppe contract oh yeah i was going to ask you earlier out to him but no no reply and I, i think sometimes is that People are almost suspicious of what you're doing, and, and yeah. I think that that place that can be hard because in reality, all you're trying to do is 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 get the story out there and 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 fix it. If you'd left the brethren, you'd left the brethren for a reason. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. It would be great if you could have stayed in and and not been part of the commercial cult and rather been part of a church. Yeah, I've been fortunate here. Um... I haven't done a lot of reaching out um, because I have people reaching out to me because of the courageous mm-hmm. people like Cheryl Hope and Richard Marsh who have come on my show several times. And that has just resulted in people reaching out to me. I'm not sure how comfortable or, well, I, I think I've done it once or twice, but I'm not sure how um, well received I'm going to be reaching out to an ex brethren member that's just trying to live their life. You know, yeah. like I would feel like Geraldo or something, like a, like mm-hmm. like a tabloidian, you know, whatever. So, um, but yeah, it is it is kind of rather unfortunate that we don't have a way to um, 
to sort of amalgamate these ex-members and create uh, a you know a political action group or something uh, you know so that they can they can do some of the um, some of the spotlighting. I, I was what I wanted to ask you earlier is 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 there have you ran into any companies who are direct competitors with cult owned companies and talk to them about what their competitors are up to and why they should be exercising some sort of PR war? I mean, I've been approached through through the Open and Candid website three times now uh, by competitors of cult businesses, um, questioning their practices, particularly in one area where contracts were just rolling over and being one year in, year out. So that I think there is there, but again, they don't know where to take them. And and these aren't a couple of these out of the out of the three that have approached two of them were considerable size companies um, that feel that the brethren getting an uh, gain an advantage through some practices that they don't believe are particularly eth- ethical. They might See, those, are the, whether those are the companies that need to develop strategies that hone in on the social stuff. You know, and the, the other area that I've, I've tried to focus in on, and I, I probably I've had some success, but not enough, is in the UK, you put, I talked about the final, the sort of three ways that you could win a contract. So you could go on to, uh, a, a, you, you could win a tender, but you win that contract with other companies. Uh, it's like a framework agreement where, that might be to supply, uh, we'll talk PPE, that might be supply 10 million uh, sets of gloves. And 10 different companies are awarded that contract. And whoever's buying can go to any of them companies to buy gloves. What isn't unusual in the UK is to see there's 10 companies won, and five of them are brethren owned companies, different companies. And, and my question there, and I keep asking this, is if I'm the buyer, if I'm the person awarding that contract, I don't know them five companies are linked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which to me then says that they've got a, a control of the market. Yeah, they're like Nestle now. You know, mm-hmm. like Nestle owns Aero and Kit Kat and all of these different brands, but everyone not everyone, but like they don't hide the fact that it's a Nestle company. It's right on the package, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a reason why they don't do that there. Well, listen, I, I found, I found this really interesting. I would love to have you back. Every time that you unearth something new, you are welcome to come back and share it with us anytime that I, you want. I'd love to, James. And uh, I appreciate your time today. Damien Hasty. thank you very much for joining us. James, thank you very much. Have thank a good you. one, sir. Um, yeah, he's he, he's another one of those guys that does the heavy lifting. Like, I'm not even qualified to try to research businessy stuff. I, I get confused. I didn't even know what turnover was um, as far as UK lingo goes because I guess I was too lazy to Google it or something. But um, I love having guys like that sort of in my network because, the you know, um, I'd rather surround myself with competent people than, than try to pretend that I'm competent at something. And Damien Hasty is one of those guys. Richard Marsh put me onto him months ago and told me, you know, you got to You got to follow this guy. He's, you know, he's, he's a brilliant researcher. He knows what he's doing and, and he's motivated. And this is really what gets, what gets me going uh, in a positive way and gets me excited about the possibility of this organization being dismantled slowly, but surely 
is that he's motivated by justice. He's not motivated by money uh, or a sense of vengeance or anything. And and I, that is not a shot across the bow at ex-members, obviously. But to have someone that isn't motivated by, by or that is motivated solely by this like obvious uh, perception that a lack of justice is taking place and that corruption is probably afoot is to me one of the greatest allies that you can have on your side when it comes to this kind of stuff. So um, again, my big thanks to Damien Hasty uh, for, for coming out today. I appreciate that. I'm just looking at my calendar now. On Tuesday, I have an epidemi- epidemiologist on. His name is Eric Fiegelding. Uh, he is a CNN correspondent, I believe. Uh, he's got a massive following. I think of like 800,000 people online. And he's just going to talk to us about the, the latest chapter of, uh, of COVID, the latest variants, um, what we should, how we should be, in, we, excuse me, how we should be interpreting uh, the, 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 the isolated and somewhat anecdotal cases of vaccine injuries, because they are happening, uh, just not to the extent that Chris Guy uh, would say that they're happening. Um, but we want to make sure that we we tell the whole story when we talk about certain subjects. I am not afraid to say that vaccines are hurting people sometimes. Um, you know, I'm still pro-vaccine. I am vaccinated. So are my kids. Um, and and But I think it's just, uh, it's interesting to have a medical professional on so I don't have to sit there and pretend that I know what I'm talking about when it comes to this kind of stuff. So um, I thank you also, everybody, for watching. I really appreciate it. I'm just busting your balls. You can talk about your stupid fucking pancakes in the comments all you want. Um, I will find a way to serve digital beverages to you. You know, um, I, I, I do appreciate you. I don't know why you guys talk to each other about recipes, but it's fine. You know, engagement is engagement. Even if you're absolutely not engaged at all in the actual podcast, you're still there. Stuff is happening. It's like a stock ticker. You don't know if it's good or bad because you don't know how to read it or you don't want it to be distracting to you, but you know it's there. You can see it move and that's great. So I, I appreciate all of that. No, I'm just kidding. You guys know I love you. Um, and we will see you next time on Black Ball. Thank you. Black Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Hi. 
I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.